0: The sun, if it could talk, would probably have some pretty profound things to say, especially <laughs> right now. I don't know if I'd want to know <laughs> what the sun
1: has to say. And we kind of tried to reclaim the word a little bit from some of those more sensationalistic I guess, feelings, because we, we think that, it, like, it's tricky sometimes, but we feel like we need to incorporate these words if we're going to be impactful and successful as educators.
2: And then to bounce it back, to reflect, to push back. So, but in such a friendly way. So then we can smooth selling into that particular topic and without create too much of the issue. That's my approach.
0: Testing, testing hey i'm ian
3: and i'm sophia
0: and welcome to talking with green teachers
3: this is the environmental education podcast where we discuss recent developments big ideas and creative approaches to teaching green in this episode
2: how can i bring this thing in life to public and more public to not just focus on academic level school districts so then that's how I really want to approach every university to try to bring the latest research into public and for the kids to get to understand. And also I can help the school to promote them. their program, the environmental program is very important for them in the future when they look into this thing. So they want to find out which program is best fit for the students.
3: Goofy and environmentally conscious preteen. She loves the world and has an urge to explore. Join Noella as she wanders the planet and makes the earth a better place to live for everyone and everything. This is a direct quotation from the introduction to volume 1 of the new comic book series Noella Environmental Education, an e-book by Infinity 8 Productions. Comics aren't the most common tools for EnviroEd. But what if their core content is connected directly to academic research? Creator Louise Duen and producer Charlie Kistler joined us to talk about making science relatable for kids, striking the right tone, and navigating pushback.
0: All right, so we'll jump right into it. Your mission is to create animated educational materials for K-12 with a specific focus on environmental issues. That's right from your website. And the content is based on research from top universities, and you aim to help young learners enhance their critical thinking skills and cognitive processes so that they develop, quote, a greater understanding of the subject matter. And the vehicle, or one of the vehicles that you've chosen to achieve all of this is comic books. So why comics?
1: Yeah, I think that comics are like an incredible teaching school tool. They're like really, really flexible storytelling vehicles. And they really provide like a visual context with the verbal cues. So like through having the panels, we can really, I think we can really focus on what we really think is important. Uh, We think dialogue is really easy to convey. And then also because the comics are like part visual and part verbal, you don't really have to necessarily be a highly proficient reader to kind of work through them. We, we think that that kind of also helps us offset the heavier nature of some of the stuff that's in the comics.
0: Right. And they certainly are very accessible. And part of that comes through the imagery and the words. And as you say, it's for many levels of readers. Do you guys have any particular favorite comic books either now or from childhood that were influences in the creation of the Noella series?
1: Uh, I, I actually need to confess that I, uh, I, I was never really a huge into graphic novels, so I can let uh, Lewis speak to that a little bit in a, in a, in a second, but I, I was really into those like science books that you'd like peel away a layer and then it'd be like reveal what was underneath. Um, uh-huh. So th- those were really kind of what drove my uh, kind of initial interest in science. Yeah.
2: How about you, Lewis? Yeah, so actually, I grew up reading a lot of Japanese comics such as uh, Dr. Slim. I don't know if you heard about that. Yeah, I don't know that one. Yeah, so it's talk about this doctor. He's a scientist. It's kind of like a uh, evil genius, too. So um, his character is very funny. And also the whole the whole comic surrounding background also very scientific and futuristic, And it's such a quirky way they express about everyday life issue. So I kind of got sucked into this comic when I was little. And also I like Dragon Ball C and Gundam and the Spider-Man. So that's what I got inspired from by Dr. Slim, this comic, Japanese comic. And some of the essence actually is kind of almost reflected to you know that, but not so much after college. So How much of that overflows into the Noella series? Uh, I think couple couple characters, a uh, couple characters. I'm kind of like in a way has kind of mimic to like how they interpret, uh, how they address the world, and in a funny quirky way. And uh, especially, I would see like the tree and also the solar panel kind of character that we have. It's very mirrored from Doctor Slim kind of style. <laughs>
0: Okay. Yeah, the trees are certainly very opinionated trees. Right. The, the central tree in particular. <laughs> Let's talk about the title character, Noella. So you've created her as a, a friendly, outgoing, very motivated and I guess I can put this in air quotes, a cool character. I mean she has purple hair, she wears headphones. I I guess those two things define someone as cool. <laughs> a, yeah. At least at least in my <laughs> mind or how I interpreted it as I was reading it. And she's a preteen. Was it important that she was a preteen and not a younger child or an adult?
1: I think a lot of kind of the purple hair, the headphones, a lot of that kind of comes down to kind of self-confidence too. But yeah, so she's 10. She was based on, I, I think, uh, so, some of Lewis's friends' children um, who were 10 years old were actually very knowledgeable on climate issues. So he he decided to go with a younger uh, younger protagonist. Then additionally, so we want her to really kind of like lead by example. So we want kids to look and see kind of what Noella is doing to protect the environment. And uh, hopefully we want them to kind of start doing it as well. And there's really no age limit for something like this. Like you don't, you don't need to be in high school to recycle. You don't need to be in high school to kind of learn about what's going on. Um, So we kind of think that if we start as young as you kind of can, like, why not?
0: For sure. And I know there's often that phrase and David Sobel, one of the well-known environmental educators always says no tragedies before fourth grade. So sort of eight, nine years old ish. So by having a 10-year-old title character, you're right in that wheelhouse of a character in and around fifth grade-ish who's starting to be aware of these sorts of things. And I mean, I can think of myself in fifth grade when I was about 10, and that was exactly the time when I started paying attention to climate change.
1: I, I think it's a very naturally curious time when you're kind of like really learning about what's going on really around you, and you're really starting to be able to kind of piece together a little bit more of the bigger picture. For sure. As for some
0: of the other characters, you've got Tree, a snowflake, an elephant, and many more. And you toe, I think, an interesting fine line between anthropomorphized versions of these characters. And that's always a bit of a tricky business. Some people say, you know, you don't want to go too far. And then other people say, well, you need it to be relatable. Was that something that was part of the discussion of to what extent do we want to ascribe Human personalities to these characters, some of which are not even living things. I mean, you've got smokestacks from a coal-powered, coal-fired plant that are talking to each other. So, what? Yeah, how much was that discussion part of the initial conceptualizing of this?
1: I think Lewis will have to speak to the conceptualizing, but yeah, of course, of course, there is kind of that sweet spot um, with the degree, the degree of anthropomorphizing, and and we really try to do it. Like as as you mentioned, we kind of paint a pretty broad brush as a, to kind of what we give voices to. Um, and we think that's really important for, I guess, especially environmental education. Because I, I guess it, it really helps kind of give different perspectives to just kind of the, the human narrative. Louis, do you, do you have anything to add about the conceptualizing?
2: Yeah, the, the conceptual idea usually, I mean, when I started creating this whole comic. So I'm trying to understand, you know, so everyday life, you know, the kids, so, you know, oftentimes you will cut themselves into talking to themselves to try to figure out something, and when the parent's not there, and you almost feel like they want to talk to an object that they have to respond back to them, right? So, and then that's why we kind of portray the character on each object so that they have their own little character and then come to life and then tell them it's like, how I feel, how you feel, you know? So what if you do this? So that would make me feel better. What if I do that to you? So would you would you feel better? So that kind of theory behind the conceptual design. So that's why I try to bring all the elements in life to help the kids cope that issue in uh, environmental sustainability topics.
0: And I think it's a really in-depth question to consider what would a such-and-such say if it could talk? You know, what would a smokestack from a coal-fired power plant say if it could talk? What would the sun say if it could talk? On one hand, it might be kind of funny. Oh, hey, the sun's talking. It has sunglasses. Ha-ha. But on the other hand, it's like the sun, if it could talk, would probably have some pretty profound things to say, especially right now. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I'd want to know (laughs) what the sun
1: has to say. No, for for sure. Um, I mean, and, and taking that, I guess one step further too is, I guess, how different would kind of the Earth look potentially if some of those things did have voices? Like, I mean, if, if trees actually could talk, you know, like what? Yeah. How 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 would uh, how would the Earth look? It, it, I think it'd be pretty uh, pretty profound the difference.
0: Yeah, I mean, if we draw a line to Lord of the Rings, thinking about trees taking matters into their own hands, it uh, maybe gives <laughs> gives a bit of comfort that the trees can't talk and think for themselves, because, yeah, they would certainly respond.
1: Right. Yeah, I, I like to think that the Ents would be uh, environmentalists. Oh, I would yeah. think
0: so. They might go about things a little slower than we need to with this shrinking nine-year <laughs> window to respond, but, yes, I think the Ents would be quite proactive. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Talking with Green Teachers is produced by Green Teacher, a nonprofit that has been enhancing environmental education since 1986. For only $32 a year, you can join our global network of passionate environmental educators, receive each issue of our quarterly magazine, and gain exclusive access to our vast archive of webinars and magazine back issues. All proceeds go back into the organization to support our vision of helping each successive generation of young learners become more environmentally literate than the last. To learn more, visit greenteacher.com. Say the word microplastic in the middle of a lively conversation, and the tone is sure to take a downward turn, and fast. Make microplastics characters in a story, and you're up against a whole new set of challenges.
0: Talk a bit about tone. I mean, I've done word association with words like environment or phrases like climate change. And you do it with a room full of people and you can almost see people's chests start to tighten up and they start to clench their fists and you get that nervousness. Yet you cover all of these topics. You cover climate change, nuclear energy, pollution, the word environment itself. It's in the title, environmental education, Noella, environmental education. And you've come up with this very friendly, proactive, empowering tone. What was your approach to handling these topics that for many people immediately give them that sense of dread?
2: yeah so the tone i i tended to do is more trying to balance of the complicated issue they're still down to the essence delivering the basic you know exposition form and so the young the young people and the kids can understand this basic idea so and that's why each story has been, has been created on a specific topic and a location around the world so then they don't feel like to isolate it from one particular area. So instead of like, this is the global issue. It's not just the United States, not China, not India. So, and then our, that then, then we help the audience were able to explore different issue and a global scale. So plus the kid, you know, at that age usually is very curious on everything. So they're like exploring different things and its places. So this certainly would keep the attention. So then we we'll say, oh, okay. So next one, I would look at different comics and different continents.
1: I think what you just mentioned kind of really gets at the core of kind of what we're trying to do. We recognize that these are really loaded phrases and can kind of raise many different emotions. And we know that we kind of have to address that. So we don't really, we don't, like you said, we don't shy away from using those words. um, And we really try and combat those feelings with a few different strategies. I guess in the case of nuclear energy, uh, specifically, I remember we deconstructed the word through like a a sequence of, I think, thought bubbles. Mm -hmm. And we kind of tried to reclaim the word a little bit from some of those more sensationalistic, I guess, feelings. Because we we think that like it's tricky sometimes, but we feel like we need to incorporate these words if we're gonna be impactful and successful as educators
0: out of sight out of mind and these are parts of the the many solutions that we need and as we know it's not just one solution it's not like nuclear alone is going to save us or solar alone is going to save us we need all of it and we need students to have the literacy to be able to talk about it and going back to your main mission critically think about this and make decisions about it definitely going to the or getting into the visual aesthetic Was there any particular thinking about the visual aspect that you wanted to create, whether it be with shapes or colors or degree of detail?
2: Yeah, the visual aesthetic is throughout the characterization, you know, so it's more like a sense of experience leading to the meaningful sense of the world we're living in, you know, so... It constantly discussing this character and throughout the world and interacting with the audience through the daily activities. So that's why my vision at the beginning is like I need to create that vision. The static has to be very friendly, approachable, and then also it throughout daily activities for the kids. So they can interact and then they also can like, oh, feel, you know, very easy to communicate with this issue and then instead of just like afraid to bring up this issue to the parents or to anyone because sometimes like you say a certain word is really triggered to different issue for different people so but if you put those visualization on particular words and the kids can feel like oh so this is nothing this is nothing i mean it's nothing very important i mean it's important but it's nothing like harmful to bring it up to talk about this So that's what my thinking behind on this.
0: Yeah, like in the first story, you talk about microplastics. And I think more and more people are starting to understand just how serious the issue of plastic pollution is. Just the ocean alone, the impact that it's having. Right. But the way you've structured it is you've got these sort of mischievous little microplastics falling in the sky, interacting with these snowflakes that are none too pleased by the presence of these microplastics that are saying things like, I'm microplastic and this is so comfy. Yeah, And I think it, it draws in the young viewer because they can relate to characters like that. right? And they can kind of laugh at these silly little microplastics that are disrupting <laughs> these poor burdened snowflakes
1: mm-hmm. i think what you're getting at is kind of the interesting juxtaposition i guess between the two because on one end the microplastics are like relatable and almost kind of exciting to the to like a potential child but then as they go out there is the potential sinister nature of them which is getting into your body you know like that. that's something that i think a lot of people aren't really sure of what's going on with microplastics in the future just because they're just accumulating in people's bodies a lot and We think that one way that it could enter someone, I guess, theoretically, is through someone eating snow in this case. Right. Well,
0: we all know people who, I mean, certainly being based in southern Ontario, as I am, and when it snows out as a kid, I would go out and try to catch snowflakes on my tongue. And if they are laced with microplastics, I might think twice about doing that. And I would think kids reading this story and seeing Noella doing exactly that on the last page of the first story, they would think twice
2: about it as well. Yeah. It's like this article from Columbia University is like and I was shocking too when I was reading this. It's like wow, it's not just particularly in particular area, co area, or one continent. It's like all over the world. And I think that's why that really triggered me to say, like, no, this is something we have to do to bring up the issue, to let the world know that we are impacted by every single little thing in the in this day by changing uh, climate changing.
0: And that can engage the systems thinking that is, again, starting to get a lot more attention in environmental education and all types of education. And I think that's an excellent vehicle for engaging that you mentioned about connecting to university papers. And one of the things that I find just so ingenious about the Noella project is that each episode, each little story is directly connected, not just to a university, but a specific research paper. And you include the citations. So, you know, parents who are reading along with their young kids can see the citation. And you also have a QR code that directly takes the reader to where they can openly access that paper. So if anyone were to come to you and say, you know, this information is bunk, where are you getting this from? It's like this is where I'm getting it from. It's right there, and it I just think that adds such a degree of credibility and I, I really commend you for doing that
1: thank you yeah thanks that that uh, accessibility of information that's super important to us uh, really really like hearing on that because I mean that's that's why we do it. Um, we really make it uh, like extremely obvious where the research came from uh, because I guess it helps us get at, out in front of the people who might be like doubting it um, and then like you said it also helps kind of hopefully we think in, uh, like spur interaction between kids and parents too, um, where the parents are, if if like a, a kid has like an extra question about going deeper into the material, parents will, I guess, have the tools to answer that question right then and there.
0: And even right from the cover of the story, you've got on little signposts as you would have with signs pointing to different places in the world. You have names of the different universities, Columbia, Harvard, MIT, Oxford, Stanford, Yale, and they're presented in such a friendly, accessible way. And I think that just shatters the whole concept of the ivory tower. You know, these out-of-touch concepts that don't relate to everyday life. You've visually, directly made them related to everyday life in the form of the activities of the characters in this story. And I don't know if I've ever set, seen citations presented in such an incredibly accessible way.
2: Yes, so that that's my whole thought at the beginning. So, because... When when I was in uh, Columbia University and, and talked to Earth Institute, so and I I sitting there reading some articles uh about environmental education. So I was like, I don't know this thing I and mean, then how can I bring this thing in life to public and more public to not just focus on academic level school district. So then that's how I really want to approach every university to try to bring the latest research and to public and for the kids to get to understand. And also I can help the school to promote them. their program, the environmental program is very important for them in the future when they look into this thing. So they want to find out which program is best fit for their interests.
0: And have the universities been quite receptive as you've come to them to say, hey, we want to use this research from your institution as part of these stories that are ultimately directed at children? What's kind of been the response from folks at some of the universities?
2: Oh, they are very they are very open. And then actually a lot of them, they are very happy to hear this uh, this little adventure we're doing it. And uh, they're very supportive. And then also they some of them, they even want to be part of our creativity or the venture in the future to create more comics or maybe maybe part of the uh, series down the line, yeah.
1: Yeah, like like Lewis said, uh, the reception has generally been pretty good and we, we've had uh, some of the professors and things like that work with us to kind of help us with, uh, like, they, they've contributed in the actual storytelling process um, to kind of make sure that everything is uh, accurate and up to, like, kind of up to snuff. Correct.
0: Yeah, just to make sure the messaging is right and the the right takeaways are, are coming from it. And based on the first volume, I would say Mission Accomplished. And we'll talk a bit more later about upcoming volumes and what is to come for Noella and Friends. Hey, it's Ian. I'm just here to let you know about two of our newest books, Teaching Kids About Climate Change and Teaching Teens About Climate Change. Each one is kind of like an educator's toolbox with ready to use hands on lessons focused on four core dimensions of climate change. Visit greenteacher.com to get your copies. We also have special rates available for bulk orders, and all proceeds go back into the nonprofit.
3: Environmental educators are familiar with pushback, something Louise, Charlie, and their team were fully prepared for right from the start.
0: I do want to spend a bit of time talking about pushback. And we talk a lot about this on this podcast. And depending on books you've read or experiences you've had, you can start to form a pretty good idea of what the green pushback playbook consists of. And one of the fairly predictable techniques that we see a lot when you know that the evidence is overwhelming and you can't, quote unquote, win the debate one of these deflective techniques is to say yeah but you're being preachy or you're being condescending or here's another lecture and you address that head on in one of the episodes where a tree says to another tree quote oh boy another lecture and I just thought you know when we see so much pushback happening and at times it can get so frustrating trying to respond to that you decided to address it head on. Yeah, Was that an initial part of the conceptualizing process as well of how you would deal with the pushback?
1: I I can't speak to the initial initial conceptualizing, but I I am very glad that that is the route that Lewis made when he was creating this. Yeah, no, it's it's true. We we do meet it head on. And that makes me think back to kind of my time ski instructing and that there weren't really bad skiers, just kind of bad ski instructors. And we really had to tailor the lesson to kind of get what we wanted out of this, the class. And I think that translates pretty well to green educating because if, if we get that type of pushback, uh, we take it upon ourselves to navigate it. And how we navigate it is, like you said, just kind of me head on and charging right through it.
2: Environmental education, also, it really ties into environmental policy. So because a lot of policy we have is almost through to stay or approved by, you know, the government, like what we can do, what we cannot do, right? So when we're creating this comic, oftentimes... We will run into the roadblock and then we we'll just say, so why can't we do that? And then convey this message in a different approach and then to bounce it back, to reflect it, to push back. So, but in such a friendly way. So then we can smooth selling into that particular topic and without create too much of the issue. That's my approach. Does it make sense? Absolutely. Yeah,
1: definitely.
0: Is there any other pushback you've experienced I know it's early days but is there anything you've experienced or anticipate experiencing in the near future mm.
1: political wise uh, we, we definitely anticipate maybe tur- turbulent waters in that sense um, just beca- because it is such a charged issue politically that we really try and balance a pretty a pretty fine line there and that's why we kind of really that's another reason why we put um, the information, uh, like our sources, so front and center, so people really see where we are getting our information is, because we don't want to make a potential misstep on that route, because it is such an incendiary area.
2: Yeah, so and then also the other area, when I spoke to MIT, uh, the professor, so nuclear is not always is the easy subject for anyone. Because when I heard nuclear, I was like, oh, nuclear weapon, you know, everybody just like alert, alert, you know, so nuclear is not good. To
1: Lewis's point right there, um, the, like, the nuclear energy, like the big things that kind of stick in people's mind about that, obviously, are Chernobyl, Three Mile Island, big kind of. Kind of scary things that evoke a lot of fear in people. So I, I think that that's kind of one of the reasons why there are those kind of such big sensitivities around those type of words. And that's, that's why we took great care to kind of figure out how to present them in a, we thought, uh, suitable manner for kids.
2: Yeah.
0: And I don't think pop culture does any favors to the nuclear industry either. You, you don't have too many movies where nuclear is part of a solution. It's just about always the tool of the antagonist. I mean, you can bet on that.
2: Oh, exactly. Oh. It's funny, actually. So I, I know a couple of my friends, they've never been to Hawaii, and now they refuse to go to Hawaii because nuclear. <laughs> the, the nuclear, the uh, nuclear, because of the... Uh, the Japanese, uh, what is that? Fukushima? Fukushima. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. 2011.
2: 2011. Right. So, and that's why my friend was like, we're not going to Hawaii anymore because it's like, we're not going to touch the water because
0: (laughs) I was like, really?
1: (laughs) Well, this is why this
0: education is important.
1: Yeah, Oh, definitely. Definitely. We really think that we need to kind of try and break down some of those big things that people have uh, those big kind of entrenched feelings about because it's uh, it's I feel like people are feel are kind of trying to sometimes navigate through green issues um, with their heart more than with their head. And, well, sometimes commendable, it's not necessarily the smartest or best thing to do.
0: No, especially when the stakes are so high and the window of opportunity, in particular for climate change mitigation, is just so, so small. Green Teacher's main office is located on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabek, Huron-Wendat, Haudenosaunee, and Mississauga peoples. This territory is covered by the Williams Treaty. So next steps, the second volume, you had a little preview, which I enjoyed, and your focus is going to be on oceans. And is the plan for subsequent issues to be sort of focused on a central theme, or do you plan to do somewhat like you did in volume one, where you touch on different themes and topics in each of the shorter episodes within?
2: On the next volume, so we will probably will have like at least three or four article will be heavily involved with ocean issue, like Sea life impacts by climate changes, sea water level rising, uh, in the certain continents. Those definitely would be our topics, uh, main topics on the next volume. And but we will be probably adding one or two with a different subject on it. We want to carry on on a different issue, not just trying to focus on one. But our goal is trying to create like a library for the younger audience to grab the information they need and that is accessible as we can. For the
1: public like you said we're really trying to focus on uh, kind of more like oceans aquatic issues on the next on the next one um, and the, the link between them right now really is that they're all just kind of based in university research but we touch on like a broad array of climate issues and so when we provide the additional structure like when we're going a little bit more in depth on the oceans in the next in the next volume I think we can have a little bit um, deeper dive uh, pardon the pun um, in, into <laughs> into the material a little bit yeah. Um, and like, I, I think that if when, when we have like a more kind of consistent theme, uh, we'll be able to kind of dive a little bit deeper into the subject matter a little bit more.
0: Well, I'm certainly looking forward to volume number two and the subsequent volumes. We're going to have a promotional review in the spring issue of Green Teacher about volume number one. And this is already available on Amazon as one
1: avenue anywhere else where
0: people can get it, where we can direct folks to.
1: So we will have it available on our own website to purchase. Um, we didn't ever really touch on this in uh, this podcast, but our plan is to use some of the proceeds from the books to help fund climate research. And so when we're able to sell that on our own website, uh, we're going to be able to donate a higher percentage of the proceeds per book. we We don't we don't exactly know those numbers yet because still trying to survive, but, of course. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that will be coming soon and we'll be very transparent about that when we do it.
0: We'll certainly look forward to hearing about this as it, de- as it develops and as I say it's a commendable target that you're aiming for and I'm really optimistic about the possibilities in engaging young people and getting them to critically think about these very critical issues. Yeah. Well, thank you, Charlie and Lewis, for joining us here today.
2: Thank you very much.
1: Yeah, thanks for having us and give the opportunity to talk to you guys a little bit about uh, the book.
3: Noela has many adventures ahead, as she leads with curiosity, learns with a perceptive mind, and acts with compassion and an eye toward the collective good. She represents a bridge between the scholarly research of top universities and the inquiring minds of children like her. Talking with Green Teachers is co-hosted by Ian Shanahan and me, Sofia Nesi. Ian is the show's writer and editor. Logo design is by Devin Terian. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or iTunes to get instant access to each new episode. If you really like the show, give us a rating too. We can also be found wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us in this episode. We'll chat again soon.
1: Like and highlighting, I guess, some of those kind of success stories where people really are, I guess, doing the future.
2: <laughs> yeah, um, doing the future. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> that that that's a good way to put it.
1: <laughs> I feel like it's the way. It it is the future of industry, right? Is kind of these cyclic, like full life cycle things.
0: <laughs> well, I think the work you guys are doing is just really, really interesting, really cool, and I.